This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Rosie, will you put the uh, will you put those lyrics back up there again? The last things by your stripes. Um, nope. Um, what was it? The next one. Go to the next slide that would come after that. There it is. There it is. Um, that's a great. That's a great lyric uh, for for today. From Mark chapter one, um, verses um, twelve to thirteen. And, and I think I, I ask myself, and I want to ask you the question, uh, do you believe that? Do you believe that the power of sin is overcome? And that it's finished and done? That, that sin, according to Jesus, actually has lost its power? That the, the devil actually has no authority over you if you are in Christ? That, that we truly, literally are free to live without sin because of Jesus. I think it's really easy for us to sing those lyrics because they sound great. And like, yeah, of course, come on. But I think my question then comes up for myself and maybe for you. When we're then faced with the temptation for sin, and perhaps those one or two or three temptations that are often so common for us that we have a habit of not really being able to overcome. Do we truly then believe that? That by Jesus, the power of that sin has lost its power on us. Jesus says in John 10, John 10 verse 10, He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom from the freedom of sin that we have been set free, that Jesus came, that we would have life. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to the stealing and killing and destroying that the devil would have for us. And I guess my question for for me and for us is, do you really believe that? Do you believe his words that he came for us to be free and to have life and have it abundantly? The Bible's really clear in, in that in stating that for us. That God truly desires freedom for us from sin. Abundance, the fullness of life in his presence. Like you you can't read through the scriptures and and, and think like, man, God really wants life to be miserable. Um, God wants our life to be full and complete and satisfied in him. The Beatitudes, blessed are those who dot, 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 and it goes down the, the verses. The word blessed can be translated happy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that circumstances are good because he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. But there's a happiness, a joy, a contentment, a satisfaction that is found in Jesus that that supersedes all of life's circumstances. Yes, there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Right now, right here, in this moment, there is a spiritual presence that wants nothing else than for you to not believe the words of God in your life wants you to submit yourself again to his slavery of sin. 
wants you to justify again why it's okay that you, you did that again. Why it's okay or I can't really be free wants us to, to be slaves when Jesus in his life and death and resurrection has come to fully break free from that sin over us. There is an enemy that wants to do that. But Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. He is greater than the enemy. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and took the chains of sin and just kind of threw them off and walked out of the tomb tells the devil and every demonic force and power, hey, you got nothing here. And then by his spirit, he offers us his power and presence so that we too can live and walk free just as he was free. So the question is, do we, do we believe that? I think one of my biggest struggles and one of probably our biggest struggles is we oftentimes lean too much in our own strength or lack thereof. We either one think, I got this, like, like I would never do that, or I'm like, I'm, I'm good, I'm immune, I've, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do this. Or, and we, we kind of drop our guards, kind of like the cocky boxers, boxer that walks into the ring and is like, oh, I got this, and then gets knocked out, you know? Like, I think sometimes we think so highly of our own strength, we don't, we don't realize the depth of the potential of sin in our lives still. And so we just kind of get cocky and lazy and drop our guards. And the devil's like, sweet, pop! And, and, then, and then we're blindsided and we're stumbling and we're like, what just happened, you know? Or we think too lowly of the strength that's in us, and we're like, man, I can't, I, I can't really be free of this. My, my dad struggled with this. His dad struggled with this. It's just a part of me. I've tried over and 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 over again. I've gone to counseling, I've taken medication. I've got accountability partners who keep my accountability partners accountable to keeping me accountable, right? Like we've got all of these things in mind and we're like, it's just, it's just not gonna work. So I think oftentimes what happens is we either think too highly of our strength and we, we don't think we need Jesus or we think too lowly of his strength in us and we're like, we're incapable of, of walking us free. Either way, we, we, don't, we don't pay mind to, we don't walk in what Ephesians 1 says, the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So either Ephesians 1.19 is lying to us, or there is an immeasurably great power at work in us for us to be free. So I'll read those verses again. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they have, may have life and have it abundantly. I don't think Jesus misspoke. For freedom. For whole, complete freedom, Christ set us free. I don't think his sacrifice was insufficient. 
I don't think it was 95% effective. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray together if we can. God, we come to you and ask of you because you are wiser and, and able and more sufficient. Father, would you speak to each one of us here today? Would you, would you speak to our unique situations and personalities and struggles? And would you communicate freedom to us in Christ? Let us know what you have come to bring us and let us believe that it is there for us to have to your glory and to your praise. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So we're, we're going through the book of Mark. And we get here to Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. And so if you're like, this is the third sermon and we're on verse 13 of chapter 1, yes, we will be in Mark for a while. It's going to be great. And it reads, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. This is the famous um, recording of the temptations that Jesus encountered. Mark gives us two verses. Matthew and Luke give us like 12. Um, that's Mark's style, right? Like, hey, let's get to the point. What, what is he communicating here, right? Like, come on, focus in. And so he gives us these, 12, these two verses and what immediately jumps out to me, maybe it jumps out to you, is why in the world was Jesus in the wilderness? Was the devil like, hey, Jesus, come here. Let's, let's hang out for a bit. No. Was Jesus in his own selfish ambitions? Like, I want to play with fire. I want to see how close I can get to temptation. And, you know, because I want to like walk that line. No. It's black and white right there. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Matthew says the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's back up. Verse nine through 11, we see Jesus being baptized. And in verse 10, it says that the spirit descended upon him like a dove, a gentle, peaceful, calm dove. Right, the spirit of God that brings comfort and peace and hope and love and good feelings all the time, all the time, right, is resting upon Jesus. And the father's like, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And everything is shining brightly and everything is great in the world, just how it should be for Christians, right? Like I got the spirit of God in me. I got, I got a river of joy flowing out. I don't, that, that was not in the sermon. My apologies, but my Baptist roots were just rising up there. You know, like we've got this spirit of joy flowing out of us. Everything should be great. But then it says that the spirit, the same spirit, right? It's not a like, hey, spirit part two, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde spirit, the same spirit that rested upon Jesus now leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Father, take him back, right? I don't, I don't, I don't want this. I don't like, maybe, maybe we messed up somewhere, you know, like, 
Throughout the Bible, the wilderness is that place of, of isolation, of desolation, of, of really trial and refinement in a person's life. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. Circumstances are not pleasant. It's hard and challenging, but God uses the wilderness to chisel off the rough edges of us, to refine us so that we look more like Jesus and so that we're moved closer into his presence so that we depend less on our own strength when everything's easy and perfect, and we learn to depend more on him. And so the wilderness is a God-ordained time that God wants for us. And so it just baffles me that it is Jesus' obedience to the Spirit that leads him into this wilderness to be tempted. Right? God, when I'm obedient, things are supposed to go good. When I'm obedient, things are supposed to be easy. When I'm obedient, things are supposed to be happy, right? And yet we see multiple times in the scripture, Jesus is like, hey guys, I need you to get on a boat. Yes, Jesus, we're following you. Hey, Jesus, we're on a boat and there's a storm now. It's about to sink. What are you doing? Many times it's, it's obedience to God that leads us into this wilderness. So two things when I see this. One, this tells me that temptation is not a sin, right? The spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He obeyed God into the wilderness, into temptation. Temptation is not the sin. It's okay if you're tempted. If you're not tempted, I would probably then say that you are not human, right? Temptation is a normal part of life. It is not the sin. The sin is what we do with the temptation, it's normal that we're going to have temptations. Jesus had temptations. And what's true about a temptation is it's not a temptation if there's not some appeal to it. So there was some appeal to whatever it was that Jesus is being tempted with. That's not the sin. What we do with the temptation is where the sin comes, comes in the picture. But the second thing I see with this is really more so the more difficult one for me to struggle with, and that's that sometimes obedience leads me into hardship. Sometimes being obedient leads me into a crushing burden placed on my back by God himself. Psalm 66, it says this, Verse 8, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Right? Like those would be easy songs to put in, a, like easy verses to put in a song. <laughs> praise him. He's kept me. He's good. Verse 10, we don't see many songs written like this. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Silver's tried in, in fire by the way, where it burns off the impurities. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. You see, sometimes it's our obedience to God that leads us into the fire. Sometimes it's our obedience to God that leads us into the wilderness where we're alone and, and, and quiet and uncertain of 
what tomorrow will look like if tomorrow will come. I've struggled with this because I, I, I know this place very well. We said yes in February of 2016, like, hey, yes, we're going to go plant a church. And I feel like all hell has been broke loose on us since then. I feel like these verses, it's what I personally feel today. I woke up angry this morning because I'm, I'm struggling with the same old things. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. And it's not been two days or two weeks or two months. It's been years. And it's been really difficult for me to wrestle with because I've been angry with God. God, we said yes to go plant a church. And now we live in a city where we can't even afford a house. Now we live in a city where there's very few Christian friends around us. We live in a city where our kids go to schools where Christianity is the heavy minority. We live in a city where, the, what in the world, God? Like, can, can, can this be easy, please? And I've just, I've genuinely struggled with it and I've been angry with God about it. And, and it still doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm not through it yet. We're reading a book in our, our staff uh, team and, and our wives called I always joke, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in one of those chapters, he titles it The Wall. Um, and other, other folks who have gone before us call it The Dark Night of the Soul. And he describes that time where he says, we question ourselves, God, the church. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. So I think sometimes we're like, oh man, Christianity should be easy. But yet sometimes it is our obedience to God that leads us to this place where it just does not make sense. It's dark and it's hard. And on your own, you feel like, I, I, I'm done. And yet this author says this is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions that we might delight in his love and enter into a richer and fuller communion with God. God wants to communicate to us true sweetness and love. He longs that we might know his true peace and rest. He works to free us from unhealthy attachments and idolatries of the world. He longs for an intimate passionate love relationship with us. And if you're thinking, oh great, that's just what this guy says, let me finish reading Psalm 66 to you. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. 
You see the, the green pastures and the still waters that we long for. Sometimes those have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And our shepherd knows what he's doing. And I say that as one who has struggled with that personally, even this morning. I don't say that as someone who's like, I've seen the other side. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to that. And I'm believing it. That, that there is a place of abundance that is coming that is only through the fire. That is only through the wilderness. And so if you find yourself there, I wish I had a better answer for you. Receive it and hold deeply to the truth that God is for you. Whatever it is that you're going through, he is for your best. You hold tightly to that and he will bring you through. So why did the spirit lead Jesus here? You would think Jesus knew all this, right? Like Jesus, he, he knew God was faithful. He, he knows all of this. Why does Jesus go through this? And ultimately because it is the temptation of Jesus that is a part of your and my freedom and overcoming power of sin. This is part of God's story of redemption. So if we back up to the very beginning, we see that God created mankind to walk closely with him. But there's always been this enemy to God, the devil, who hates God with everything he has, but he also knows he can't overcome God, he can't defeat God, so the devil's aim is you and me. The best way for the devil to get at God is to get at those whom God created in love and in joy. So if the devil can get at us, then that's his way of getting at God, is to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And so that's his objective. And so in the very beginning, the devil comes in to Adam and Eve and whispers this lie of deception. Hey, I know, I know God said this, but... If you ever hear God said this, but stop, done, end of game, story, stop, move, run, take off. Hey, I know God said this, but you can make your own choices. Live on your own. Be autonomous. Stand on your own two feet. Go your own way. You can have the best of both. You can have a relationship with God and do your own thing. If anybody was going to go through life without sin, it's Adam and Eve, right? They live in the perfect garden of Eden. They walk with God. They talk with God. They've got no priors. They've got no family of origin baggage. They've got no peer pressure around them. They just got animals, man. The animals aren't talking to them being like, hey, why don't you do this? You know, like they've got everything possibly going for them and yet they sin. And yet the deception and the temptation of the devil to, to choose their own way, to go their own route, they give into it. 
How in the world do we possibly stand a chance? Man, I'm born with baggage. I got people all around me that are, that are tempting me. I got people that are, that are you know, they're, they're leading me astray. They're doing things to me that are making me curse God. Right? Like, I, how am I possibly going to make it through this and not sin if Adam and Eve couldn't do it? Right? If anybody's going to do it, it is going to be them. Mark 1, 12 through 13 is how. That Jesus came in to rewrite the story, to flip the script, to change the narrative. Jesus faces the same temptations that we face. Hebrews 4, chapter 15, or 4, verse 15. It says, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus had to be tempted like we are tempted so that he can empathize with us. So that when we say, I've got the, I've got the temptation to choose my own way, Jesus said, man, I got the temptation too. The devil came to me and said, if you are the son of God, Go make food for yourself, man. If we're tempted to say, it is my right to choose for myself. It is my body, my life. I get to choose for myself. Jesus says, I was tempted that way too. It was my right to turn the stone into bread. It was my right to demonstrate this power. Jesus says, I had that temptation too. If we're tempted to gratify the desires that we have, Jesus says, I was tempted that way too. I was fasting for 40 days. I was hungry. I was with the wild animals, man. I wanted to protect myself. I wanted to look out for myself. Jesus has been tempted as we are tempted so that he can empathize with us. He can sympathize with us. There's a real appeal to his flesh but where Adam gave in, Jesus did not. Where Adam followed the temptation of the flesh, Jesus overcame the temptation of the devil and was without sin in this moment and for all of the moments. The Bible says Jesus is the second Adam. He came to do what Adam could not do. It's overcome the temptation of the devil and live in freedom. That's what we see happening here. That's what we see with Jesus. He's overcoming the temptation of the devil. Why? 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 Okay, this is March of 2021. This happened, let's just say, 2021 years ago, roughly. So what? What do we do with this? Why, why does this matter? Jesus in my place. Jesus came to stand in my place so that I could stand in his. Jesus came to do for me what I could not do on my own so that I can be free from sin today and for all of eternity. We have hope in Jesus because he overcame the temptation of the devil. We have confidence 
of freedom because Jesus overcame the temptation of the devil. God expects you and me to be perfect. He expected it from Adam and Eve, and he's expected it from every human being since, that we would live in perfect obedience. We have adopted that nature of Adam and Eve. Sin has infiltrated our DNA. It is a part of us. And so we've all sinned, and sin is the obstacle between us and God. It is the the barrier that keeps us from communion with him. And so Jesus came to remove that dividing wall of hostility. He, He came to remove that obstacle. On the cross, he overcame the devil and sin and death once and for all. On the cross, he tore down that dividing wall of hostility so that our full record of debt, our full record of sins, past, present, and future would be settled on the cross, not in part, not mostly, but fully and wholly. That most shameful sin that you have committed and that you're praying no one ever finds out about, that your hope, Jesus has already knows it and has already died for it. It's already paid for. The sins that will come in the future that the devil wants to to use to hold you back in shame, Jesus has already paid for it. And in his resurrection, he leaves it in the grave so that when we trust him in that supernatural power, we too, our sins can be left in the grave. And when we stand before God, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our mistakes. He sees Jesus and the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can now be rejoined in communion with God. That's the message of the gospel, that we actually can have a relationship with God. And it's done fully by Jesus. But it's not just for heaven one day. I think so often we think about that and we think, man, now I get to go to heaven. Now I'm going to live forever in heaven. And and that's true. But the power of Jesus is for today. Mark 1, 12 and 13 is for today. That when we trust Jesus, we receive the spirit that overcame temptation in Mark chapter one. We receive his power to say no to sin. You do not have to sin. The the reality of Christ in us is we can live the rest of our lives without sin. Now I know you hear that and you're like, but let's talk about reality. And I get it. Let's talk about reality. But let's not spend so much time talking about the fact that we're going to stumble. Let's focus on the fact that we have the power of the risen Jesus in us to overcome sin. So when that temptation comes, we don't have to do it. We don't have to sin because Jesus didn't sin and he gives us his spirit. That is why this is so important. Because it not only makes him the perfect savior for all of eternity, but it gives us his power to, with, to say no and overcome sin today. So I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I, I want to self-protect. I, I want to guard myself from, from giving my, my, my love and affection and moving near to people fully. Because what if they hurt me? And yet we see in Jesus, we see in the love of God an unreserved pursuit of others. 
And so by his spirit, I am able to do that. The question is, will I walk in that? Will I trust that and walk in it? And maybe you've got this, maybe pornography has a hook on you. And you've got images in your head that you've, you know you don't want to go back, but next thing you know, there you are. You're hooked. You're not defeated. Jesus overcame every temptation for the gratification of flesh. And by faith in him, you have that power too. Yeah, it may take time and it may take accountability and it may take grinding and trusting in him that you will overcome or it could be instant. He may give you instant deliverance and freedom, but gosh darn it, we've got to believe that we have that power. We've got to believe that Jesus overcame and the Bible tells us he gives us his spirit so we can overcome as well. Because if we live defeated, we're never going to live victoriously. Does that make sense? We have to trust the word that his spirit is in us. Humility, my word, we want to look out for number one. But Philippians 2 says that his spirit of humility is in us. We have the humility of Jesus in us. We can live every day by preferring the other. When that temptation comes and it's like, no, I need, I need to manipulate the truth. I need, I, need to, I need to, it's not a full lie. It's just, I'm just going to say this part, but not this part. When that temptation comes because we want to protect our flesh or we want to protect other things, we can remember the word of God that says, speak the truth to your neighbor. And Jesus gives us a spirit to do that. We have what we need in Jesus. That's what happens here in Mark 1, 12 and 13. The overcoming Savior gives us his overcoming power. So let us draw near with confidence. I read Hebrews 4, 15. It said that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way. And then verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The grace that we need to obey him, it's there in full. In full. The grace that we need to be obedient in this moment and then at 1 p.m., and then at 2.30, and then on Monday, Tuesday evening, Wednesday when we're getting tired, cranky, the grace we need to be gentle and kind and patient and loving, it's there. It actually is there. I think it's really easy to read this and say, man, God just wants me to be good like Jesus. 
Like God just wants me to say no to sin and yes to obedience. And, and he, he does, but that's not his main, his main goal. God's main goal for you is not obedience. His main goal for you is not to kick your bad habits. His main goal for you is not behavior modification. God's main goal for you is your heart. There's a deeper and more intimate love relationship with God than you can even comprehend. Let me say that again. God's main goal for you is not obedience. His main goal is not for you to stop doing bad things. Go fix what you broke. His main goal for you is a deeper and more intimate love relationship with him than you can even imagine. Our obedience is a means to that end. Our obedience just helps us know him more. Our obedience helps us be like Jesus so that we can be united with God because that sin is a dividing obstacle. God doesn't tell you to behave just to make you a good person. He tells us to behave so that we can know him and we can have him. Can you hear God right now? I, I hear him. Gosh, I hear him. He, he's telling you he loves you. Not because of what you've done or not done. He loves you just because of who you are. If you, if you sense that to be true, that's God speaking to you. And he's inviting you to overcome sin by Jesus who has already done it for you so that you can know him more. So that that love relationship can be better, deeper, more abundant than you can even imagine. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.